0: To the Seeking Proof, Finding Grace podcast. I'm your host, Ron Campbell, and this week, as with every week, I want to challenge you with the most important fact in the entire universe: God loves you. Now, over the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is we've been looking at, at adding some context to our journey. So we started off with the question of who is God, and as we as we've addressed this question of who is God through the story of the prodigal son. We've expanded our focus a little bit so that we could look at this question of what is God's purpose. So if God's purpose is to bring us into an eternal relationship with him, which it is, then how does he handle our free will? Because our free will becomes really problematic in accomplishing that goal. You know, we've we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, looking at this example of me eating a cheeseburger when I ought to be eating a salad or something a little more healthy. And how even something that small tends to threaten my relationship with God. So what do we do? How does God approach that? And obviously, God must have a plan to accomplish his purpose. And so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at that plan. Because as we look around us, the temptation in all of this is to say, my goodness, everything around us is such a mess. This really can't be. Is God just willing to sit back and do nothing? And the answer is no, of course not. He's not going to do nothing. But our free will limits what he can do, and it's this tricky balancing act that God has to accomplish on one hand to respect our free will, but on the other hand to get us into an eternal relationship with him. So what is it that our Heavenly Father is going to do as we walk through all of this? I think there's four points that we need to look at, four parts of this plan that are going to help us as we move forward. Point number one is going to be, God has to respect our free will to get us there. He has to, he has no choice. So God's love for us is so great that he's willing to take a step back and let us walk through the things that we do. That's actually going to be our first point as we look at all of this. Now, it's logically satisfying, but it's not very emotionally satisfying. This is one of those things you kind of look at and scratch your head a little bit and go, well, now wait a minute, how far is God willing to go in all of that? And if you think about it from a parent's perspective, when our kids are going through the terrible twos, those the terrible twos are correctly named. It's something that you have to wade through as a parent. And thankfully they don't last forever, but it's a very real thing. And God is in that same boat. He loves us so much that he's willing to wait and to go through all of that pain and suffering as we're going through this. The problem of getting us into eternity is not God. The problem of getting us into eternity is us. And so he's willing to go through this with us to get us to that place. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, and this from uh, Mere Christianity, but the great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It is not wearied by our sins or our indifference, and therefore it is quite relentless in its determination that we shall be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. At times we fall in this trap of focusing just on, well, all of the pain and suffering that our free will causes us. But we forget at the same time, God is suffering right along with us. It hurts as a parent when you watch your kids go through the terrible twos and do all of the things that you don't want them to do. But as they're learning that balancing of expressing their free will and growing up and maturing as a parent, you have to wade through that with them. Even though there's pain involved for you too as a parent, the terrible twos They're hard on a two-year-old, but my goodness, are they hard on a parent. So that's actually going to be the first part of God's plan. God loves us so much, he's willing to suffer with us and to go through this with us. That's point number one. All right, point number two. Now, this one's going to be a little bit easier to... It's probably a little bit more emotionally satisfying, but it's kind of hard to wrap our arms around sometimes. Point number two is God has come up with the perfect plan. So let's take a look at that in Scripture. And we've, we've mentioned this verse of Scripture, this passage of Scripture over the last couple of weeks. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, Before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, that in the dispensation of the fullness of of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on the earth in him. Okay, so what that passage of Scripture means as we read through that is. God looked before he laid the foundations of the, of the earth and he recognized it was going to take him going to the cross to get us into an eternal relationship with him. I know I've mentioned this several times over the last few weeks, but I've done so because it's so critically important. God and his ability to step outside of time can look at the entire timeline and recognize what is the best plan possible to get as many of my children back into relationship with me as I possibly can. Remember, think about this again in in context of the story of the prodigal son. God is trying to get that prodigal son back into relationship with him. In our story, it was only two. He had an older son and a younger son. But God's dealing with billions of his children in our example, in, in reality. And he's trying to get as many of us as possible back into relationship with him. So God has put together the perfect plan to do so. And that's our second point. God's plan is perfect. And and this takes on so many different facets, it's hard to keep track of all of them. Number one, the timing is perfect. Why was it that Jesus came 2,000 years ago? Why didn't he come 2,500 years ago or 1,500 years ago? And God would look at us and say, no, 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 the timing was perfect the timing was perfect to reach the maximum number of people possible and to accomplish the goal that I'm trying to accomplish and so there are so many components that come together in this question of well when would god enact his plan and god would say i did it at the perfect time he also did the most the, the perfect approach so jesus came to us lowly and humble he came as a servant he came correcting our misunderstandings of what we had about God. One of the problems that the people had 2,000 years ago was the Jewish people were accepting a conquering, they were expecting a conquering Messiah. They weren't expecting a lowly, humble servant, a teacher, who was there to teach them about salvation. When they heard victory, they believed victory over the Romans. Now they weren't thinking about victory over sin for all eternity. So his approach was perfect. It was humble and meek and everything, as we're going to talk about next week, everything God has to be to win us back in a relationship. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. He also died the perfect death. The plan was perfect. So that his death on the cross was perfect. There's never a time when I look at what my Lord did for me, there's never a time when I wonder, well, how much does God really love me? Because any time that pops into my mind, the answer is, well, wait, 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 wait. He loved me so much, he gave everything for me and died the most horrible death imaginable to pay the price for my sin. His death on the cross is final. The cross becomes the ultimate stumbling block to these questions as we go forward. But his death shows his love for me like nothing else could. The other thing I want to stress in all of this is what grace does for us. That God's plan includes not just the timing and all these other things, It's the method of getting us back into heaven. Works, earning my way back into heaven, is basically impossible. If my goal is I have to be perfect for a perfect God, God recognizes I can't do that. None of us can do that, but he doesn't expect us to. So God's answer to this solution, God's solution to this problem, sorry, is grace. Grace is the ultimate answer to this. If you think about the three choices on the table— you have justice. Justice means I pay for everything I've done wrong. I earn my way to heaven. That's just impossible. I can't do justice. Justice convicts me of my sin, and I, I never get free in that. In, in the example of the prodigal son, the prodigal son, oh my goodness, justice for him would have been terrible after telling his father, you know what, Dad, I need you to die sooner. Why don't you give me my inheritance now? There's, there's no good answer for that. Mercy is better Mercy means I don't get punished for the things that I do, but I never get healed either. You you think about the prodigal son as he comes back to the father. The prodigal son desperately needs to be healed. He thinks the relationship with the father is destroyed. He thinks he'll never be loved again. He thinks he'll never be accepted into the family again. He's just angling for, can I get a job as a worker on the ranch? If I could be a ranch hand, that would be okay because I'd have food in my belly and a roof over my head. But that doesn't ever heal the younger son. That's not what God wants. Grace does everything. Grace brings the younger son back in. Remember, the younger son is us. Grace brings us back into the family. I'm fully redeemed. All of my sin debt is paid, and not just one at a time. I don't have to keep coming back and asking for salvation every time I screw up again, because I screw up on a pretty frequent basis. My salvation is secured the moment that I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't have to keep coming back asking for forgiveness over and over again. It's a good idea if I talk to God about my sins, because I need to stop doing them. It's a good idea if I come back to God and go, okay, I've really got to figure out this, you know, getting mad in traffic and yelling at other drivers or whatever it might be. I do need to fix that. But that doesn't separate me from God. Nothing can separate me from God. Grace washes away every sin imaginable, and it does it permanently for me. So grace fixes me. It heals me. It welcomes me back in, and it it answers the question, how much am I welcome back in fully? I am a child of God. I am clean. I am forgiven. I am redeemed. I am justified. There's so many things that we're going to talk about down the road, but grace heals me completely. Grace is the ultimate solution to all of these questions and problems that are out there. Grace heals them all. And when you look at it in context of, well, what else does this do? Grace has the potential to heal the entire world if we would just embrace it. If you think back in history, let me give you an example as we look at this. In 70 AD, Jerusalem falls to the Roman general Titus, and it ends the Jewish rebellion that had been going on. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that there were were north of 1.1 million people in Jerusalem when Jerusalem falls. And when Jerusalem falls, the slaughter and the famine and the bloodshed are so bad that a million people die. How do you heal from that? A million people die when Jerusalem falls. There's no fixing that. There is no healing that. You know, there's there's no solution for that much blood having been shed that anybody ever gets permanently healed, at least from our perspective. But that's where grace steps in. God loved me when I was unlovable. God forgave me when I was unforgivable. God looked at me and said, if you'll accept the offer of my son's sacrifice on the cross, I will heal you and forgive you completely and wash your sins away. But at the same time, God looks at me and says, by the way, I've made that same offer to everybody else on earth. I can't hold the sins of somebody else against them that they've committed against me. I can't hold those things that they've done to me against them any more than God is holding my sin against me. So when someone has wronged me, the thing that is ultimately going to heal me is forgiving them and walking away. And I'm not suggesting that there shouldn't be legal consequences. If somebody commits a crime against me or is abusive to me or you or anything like that, you need to get out of that abusive relationship. You need to let the law take care of it. There should be legal consequences for that in this world. I totally understand that. And I wouldn't suggest anything other. But the way I get healed, the way I don't carry those scars, is to forgive the other person and walk away because I recognize Even though I don't love them, God loves them. Even though I would have a hard time forgiving them, God forgave me. The way I get healthy is to let go and stop trying to hold them accountable for the debt that they owe me, for the sins that they have committed against me. The way I get healed is to let go of it and walk away. There's no way some people are going to pay for the sins that they've committed against me. They can't do it. You, There are emotional scars that will never heal. I'm sorry doesn't fix some things, and it never will. But that's okay. God doesn't expect it to. God looks at us and says, grace heals you, and grace heals your relationship with them and everything else. God takes responsibility for all of that. He took responsibility for it on the cross, and he takes responsibility going forward for it, all of it. Grace has the potential to radically transform our society all of the things that we're looking at that have, that are hurts and things that have been going on for hundreds of years the only fix for them is for somebody to step back and say i release you i let it go i'm not going to carry this hurt any longer grace is the perfect plan executed at the perfect time in the perfect way point number 2 is the most all encompassing point of them all god's plan is perfect I think the third point helps us tremendously, especially when we're dealing with tragedy or situations like that, to remember sometimes that we don't look at this through the proper perspective from God's point of view. You know, when we look at things, we look at things through the the lens of this tiny amount of time that we get to spend on this earth. And let's say I live to be 100 years old. Compared to eternity, a hundred years is this tiny drop in an enormous bucket. It just is meaningless in the, long, in the grand scheme of things. From our perspective, when we lose a loved one, especially someone who dies too young, it's very difficult and it, it causes us an enormous amount of pain. And that's true and that's correct. But I think God would look at us sometimes and remind us that w- when you leave this world, when you step into an eternal relationship with him, it's really true the things that you hear preachers say at a, at, a, at a funeral a lot of times is, well, they've gone to a better place, they've gone to be with the Lord. I think a lot of times we just take that as like it's a rhetorical comment. When we really ought to look at it correctly for what it is, that's accurate. And so if I pass away at 100 years old, or if I pass away at 20 years old, from God's perspective, I've stepped into eternity with him. That was the goal, was to get me into eternity. His goal is not to make all of us comfortable here forever in bodies that are old and decaying. And you know, the older I get, the worse that sounds. But, you know, when I was 16, I thought 50 sounded really old. And now that I'm in my 50s, 50 doesn't sound that old anymore. <laughs> but I also recognize I can't do the things that I used to be able to do when I was 30 or 20 or something like that. As our bodies get older, we kind of recognize these bodies, you know, eventually they're, they're going to wear out. The goal is for that not to happen. And so when we look at this, we sometimes look at it through a perspective that isn't quite right. And if we'll embrace God's perspective on this, it really does help to comfort us when we've lost a loved one or gone through something difficult. We really are stepping into an eternity and going to a better place. So number three, I think if we look at things through a little bit different lens it helps put things in context that the goal is eternity. And when we lose someone here, the hard part is for us, not for them. They, ha- they have gone to a better place. The fourth point is the most comforting of all. And I think that's the, it really shows God's heart. All of this that I've said is factually true. And it's intellectually satisfying. In some cases, it's emotionally satisfying. And it makes good intellectual sense. But in the end, It's not good enough for God, and it's really not good enough for us. In the end, when I'm hurting, I'm hurting, and I need more than that from God. And God would tell us, I agree with you, and I'm here to help you through that. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us come therefore boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I love that word, come boldly to the throne of grace. Don't be shy about it. Don't be hesitant about it. Come boldly. When you're hurting, Jesus says, don't just come to me halfway. Don't just come, well, when you, when you get around to it. Come boldly to me. He came and, he came and went through everything that we live through in life. He lost family members who were close to him. He was betrayed by a close friend. He died a horrible, painful death. He lived through all of life's ups and downs. And if you really think about it, life under Roman rule 2,000 years ago, not an easy life. We have a way easier life today. He's gone through everything that we can that we could ever go through. And he would look at us and say, I know how you're hurting, I know how you're feeling, and I know you don't wanna wait until eternity to be made better. When we go to God, when we go to Jesus and we're struggling and we're suffering, Jesus is gonna help us through that. He is gonna bring healing and hope and restoration and victory to us here as well as in eternity. His love for us can help us walk through these things. I recognize, you know, when I I lost my father in a car accident several years ago. And, you know, when you lose someone very unexpectedly, there's a lot of healing that has to be done. And, you know, Jesus was there for me. When I brought those pains to him, when I brought the hurt and the suffering and the pain and all of that to him, he helped me heal through that process much faster. Looking back on that last point a little bit, because I recognized my dad was in a better place. My dad had gone home to be with the Lord. All of that is true, but just knowing that dad was in a better place wasn't enough. I needed that healing that Jesus was there to provide. So when you look at these four points, God would look at us and say, look, I'm here with you, and I'm going to walk with you through this. If you will lean into me, we're going to get through this time that you spend here together and bring you into eternity. So God has the best plan, the perfect plan to get us there and he is going to do so. We're going to wrap up there this week. Look, next week, we're going to jump into this question of faith. So what? why doesn't God just show up and announce his presence to everybody? Why does he have to make this so difficult? And this is really going to help us as we start getting ready to look at the question of were we created or did we just evolve from some cosmic accident? We're going to start jumping into that next week, but uh, we'll save a little bit more for then. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's Seeking Proof, Finding Grace podcast. As always, if you've got questions, you can reach us on our website at prooftograce.com or you can email us at prooftograce at yahoo.com. You can also find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us this week and look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.